So now we're going to jump right into the Gospel of Mark. We are going to continue a journey that we have actually been on now for several weeks. The Gospel of Mark is a fast-moving account of the life of Jesus. And I think that by walking with Jesus through the account that Mark gives us, that we can learn how to become the kind of people that look and sound and behave like Jesus. And that's the journey we want to take. This morning, we, the passage that we are going to read reminds me of some things in the natural world. It actually reminds me of a general principle. I'm going to put that right up here on the screen. This general truth that we find in the natural world. When something grows, something else dies. For example, when corn grows in the field, the soil is depleted of its nutrients. When love grows, selfishness dies. Or, on the negative side, when truth hits the life of a liar, lies tend to grow greater, and truth diminishes and dies. So just think of how that truth works out in real life. When something grows, something typically dies. And that general truth is going to help us, I think, understand what Jesus has to say today in this passage. So we pick up Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Verses 1 through 20. Here we go. Picking up quickly with the scene, the next scene in the story. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd gathered that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat, sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, grew, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seen, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others Like seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some a hundred times what was sown. 
There's a lot going on in those 20 verses right there. What we want to understand as we get out of the gate here, as we explore, dig into the passage, is we are right on the heels of three scenes that we looked at last week that come in the previous chapter. And in those three scenes, we saw the people trying to put Jesus in three boxes. They tried to contain Jesus, tried to control Jesus, have their way with him, and ultimately, some wanted to eliminate him. They had a really hard time understanding what he was doing as he launched the kingdom of God, as he announced the inauguration of a new world order. They had a very hard time understanding who this guy was and what in the world he was doing. So like what we always do is we take those things we don't understand, we slap a label on them, throw them in a box, and then contain them, control them, or eliminate them. And that's what's happening in the scenes that come just before we get to Mark chapter 4. And so Jesus, right on the heels of the people not understanding him, he extends this response that we started with last week. And I think we see two major responses going on in these 20 verses. Two major responses. Take a look. Number one, I think Jesus teaches in parables. Jesus teaches in parables. So I want to go macro. We're zooming out. He teaches in parables. And then when we zoom in, he teaches a specific parable. One specific parable here. Those are the two responses that we need to understand to get a sense of what's going on in these 20 verses. So the first one would be that Jesus is teaching in parables. Just in general, he's teaching in parables, these short stories or these short illustrations. Why would he be doing this at this time? Well, what Jesus does is he gives an explanation for this, and let's do a quick review on why in the world Jesus would even be teaching in parables. Remember what he says in this, that chapter we just read, verse 11 and 12. Take a look. Let's do a quick review. He told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seen but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Verse 12 is a quotation from the book of Isaiah. This is a book written by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before we ever get to Jesus' day. And Jesus now grabs backwards into the book of Isaiah and pulls these verses into his day. And we have to then wonder, what is it about these verses that have application in Jesus' day? Well, when Isaiah received that message from the Lord... It was the first message he had received from the God of Israel. And it was the launch of his ministry. That is, Isaiah was called by God to go. And when God called Isaiah to go in Isaiah chapter 6, the first words he tells Isaiah to speak to the people is what Jesus quotes in Mark chapter 4 verse 12. That when, he, when Isaiah goes to proclaim the word, he's supposed to Start with a word that says, you will be ever hearing, but you won't be understanding. You'll be seeing, but you won't be perceiving, or you might turn and be forgiven. That's what Isaiah launches with. Let me summarize what I think is going on when Isaiah starts. Hundreds of years before, starts with those words. I think what God's trying to do here is this. Isaiah's message exposed Israel's heart, revealed their spiritual blindness, and drove them deeper into their unbelief. 
Many people in Isaiah's day had masks on. They looked like they were doing everything right. I mean, they were going to church, doing their sacrifices, but really in, in their heart, they were unbelievers. They did not trust the God of Israel. And so God was going to make sure as Isaiah launched this ministry and proclaimed a message that their hearts would be exposed for what they were. And so, the more light that Isaiah cast into Israel, into the people of Israel, the further, the farther they retreated into darkness. The word of God actually drove them deeper into their unbelief. And God did this so that their unbelief would be exposed for what it really was. And then God would bring salvation after he had cleansed. But this is the message Isaiah brings to the people of Israel hundreds of years before. And here we find that Jesus is pulling those same verses out of Isaiah and applying them to his day. That's because the message Jesus is bringing will also expose people's hearts. And that's a really big part of Jesus' mission, is to expose the human heart. And I want you to see how important this is. Not just here in Mark chapter 4 as he speaks in parables, we get a glimpse of this in the first days of Jesus' life. Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 34 and 35, Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem, days after being born, and this man shows up. Then Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Just days, in, days, just days after being born, there's a prophecy spoken over Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem that he would reveal people's hearts. And so it should be no surprise when we get up to Mark chapter 4 that we see Jesus speaking in a way that will expose people's hearts. Jesus himself said this, John chapter 9 verse 39, words that we typically don't like to read from Jesus, but if he said them, we should listen. Here's what he says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Judgment in the scriptures is simply a declaration as the way things really are. This is not God being mean. It is God revealing or exposing reality. And so Jesus here says that he came into the world to expose things for the way they really are. When he speaks, he exposes, he reveals. And so he's carrying out that prophecy that Simon spoke over him in Luke chapter 2, verse 34 through 35. And if we take that principle and we drive it past the cross of Christ and the resurrection, would you believe that when the message of Jesus, that good news, the, the gospel, goes out into the Roman world, that this message does the exact same thing that his words were doing while on earth? When the gospels proclaim, some hear it and receive it with joy. Others hear it and reject it. Some hear the word of God as it was being proclaimed in the Roman world, and they were drawn to it. They were attracted. And others, they were repelled. The gospel smelled. It, it smelled. It had a bad smell to it, a bad odor about it. 
This is exactly how the Apostle Paul describes what happens when the gospel goes out into the Roman world and people start to hear it. Look at what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He wrote this, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. When the word of God goes out, it has a way of exposing the way things really are. That's what happened in the Roman world when the gospel went out. Some identified it with death and others said it's life. You could not take a middle ground, some compromised way with the gospel. You would smell a sweet fragrance or you would smell death. The gospel had a way of exposing things. And so when Jesus, in Mark chapter 4, pulls those verses from Isaiah into his day, he's saying something very specific about what he's doing with the parables. This is what I want to say about that. Here's how I'd summarize it. Jesus taught in parables to expose people's hearts. The parables attracted the humble, but repelled the selfish. In telling parables, Jesus... Was, was filtering the people in front of him. We are now three chapters in to the Gospel of Mark where we see people misunderstanding him, and now Jesus begins to draw a line in the sand. And these parables are either going to attract or repel. That's why he is teaching in parables. It's a way of weeding out and drawing unbelief to its logical conclusion. Those who saw Jesus only as a miracle worker, only as someone that could give them just what they want, those who saw him as a genie in the bottle would finally begin to be repelled from Jesus as they began to be confused by the teaching. But those humble would be drawn to him. And that's the point. And so how all this works plays out in the parable that he tells. And it's a famous parable. It's often called the parable of the sower. And he uses this parable then to explore how so many people in the world have bad soil, have hearts that are bad soil. They can't receive the kingdom of God. And so there are these three soils that they just can't take the seed that the sower is throwing. Take a look. I just want to summarize those three soils this way. Some people are trapped in the devil's kingdom so tightly that the devil blocks Jesus from their heart. I think that's what we have going on in that soil, that rocky path. The other one that we see, the second one, is some people love themselves so much that the moment that trouble arises in life, they run away from Jesus. Jesus was simply a means to get what they wanted. So when they didn't get what they want, they left. And that third soil, that third soil, some people... Let's put that third soil up. Love their wealth and appetite so much that there's no room for Jesus in their heart. There's just no room. And so what you have here is you have, I think, hearts that are fundamentally rooted in unbelief and selfishness. And when the word hits that heart, something has to grow and something has to die. 
And it just so happens in those three soils, when truth hits that heart, it has to die because selfishness will grow. So a selfish heart, a selfish heart cannot produce good fruit. And this is what Jesus is dealing with as he works out what is happening right in front of him with this crowd of people and the people he's been experiencing. And I think when we come to that good soil, we got one thing we need to take away from it. It's this. This is the way I want to say this big principle that there is really only one way to receive the gospel and enter the kingdom of God. You must have a humble heart, which is a gift from God. That's the way you get into the kingdom. That's the way that you have good soil that produces good fruit. For that to happen then, if something's going to grow, then something else has to die. And if, if, it, if it is true then that the word of God dies in a selfish heart, then the principle extends that it is truth that dies so that selfishness can grow. If you flip it for good soil, that means the only way that God's word, the message of the kingdom grows, is if something dies. And who would that be that needs to die? That would be you. That would be your pride. That would be my pride. The only way that the word, the message of the kingdom will grow is if something else dies. And it so happens that has to be your pride. Now, I'm not making this up. I just read the rest of the story. And I happened to come across Mark chapter 8. Here's what Jesus says. He says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 35, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, well, they'll lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the kingdom will save it. See, that general truth in our world that when something grows, something else has to die plays out right here in this passage. Because for God's word, the message of the kingdom, your life with Jesus to grow, something has to die. If anything else comes above God, it will choke. It will choke the message of Jesus inside your heart. That's just the way things are. It's the nature of the kingdom. And here Jesus drives us to that. And I imagine that either attracts you or repels you, one or the other. So let's make some application. Let's take those 20 verses and all those other passages and bring them down to some application for your life. I want to summarize everything I just said into one sentence of application. Here it is. The kingdom of God can't grow inside of you if you are the most important thing in your world. Now, if your toes now hurt or you're offended, you take that up with Jesus, not me. This is the point of the parable. This is the point of teaching in parables. If you are the most important thing in your world, the kingdom of God will not grow inside of you. The flip side of that is that if God is the most important thing in your life, if the kingdom of God living as the kind of person that is, is, is attracted 
uh, to Jesus, a humble heart, uh, then you will produce more fruit than you can imagine. You will have a good life. And so here's a question, I think, that we can ask coming out of this sentence. Who is the most important person in your life? By default, we might answer that question with me. Like, I'm the most important person in my life. And I got enough Facebook and Instagram and Twitter to tell me that I'm the most important person in my life. I am well trained to think about me. There is a reason that marketeers spend so much money on ads during the Super Bowl. Because they know that I'm already thinking about me. And if they can just get me to turn my attention one, one direction to release some of my money to them to make me more happy, then I might just do it. You and I are well-trained in our world to think about me. But maybe, maybe, maybe you've gone a long time not thinking about you because there's another side to this. It might be your kids that are the most important things in your world. It might be your grandkids. It might be your spouse. I mean, I could just go on with lists of application, but I think you get the point. If anyone or anything comes before Jesus in the kingdom, you will have bad soil, and you will not produce fruit. And so we really need to ask, who is the most important person in your world? Just think about that. And then let's, let's talk about this question. Let's think about this one. Does Jesus attract you or repel you? Now, this one, this one can get under our skin a little bit because I know that in church, we have to answer, Jesus attracts us. Like, that's the answer you're supposed to give. Like, it'd be odd if you didn't give that answer. Which of you is going to say Jesus repels you? Really? No, he attracts all of us. That's why we're here. I get it. We're Christians. We're church people. We're supposed to say that. But does your life reflect behaviors that show an attraction to Jesus? Or would someone look at your life and say, you must be repelled? Or that your life looks as if it is running away from Jesus? Which direction are you moving? Towards Jesus or away from him? That's the thing I really want you to think about. It's something I'm having to sit with myself. Which way am I moving? I want you to be encouraged with this, though. If there's anything inside of you that says, but I do want Jesus, I just really mess up a lot. Or I don't always feel attracted to Jesus. That's okay. God can deal with your unbelief if you want help with it. What God will not deal with is a heart that says, I'm done, I'm finished, no more. And walks away and closes the door. But if there's anything inside of you that says, I technically have a life that is moving away from Jesus, but I would love to be moving towards Jesus. I'd love to be attracted to him. God can take that, and he can grow it. There's a story we won't deal with right now, but a man comes to Jesus, and he says this, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I think God can handle your unbelief. But God will not deal with your defiance. And those are two different things. So if there's anything in you that wants to be attracted to Jesus, uh, he's there. 
and he's full of compassion. He'll wrap you with mercy, and he actually likes you. So you come on to Jesus. Let's take that to a next step. Here's the next step I want us to take. Read Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 30, once a day. Once a day. Now, for you super Bible nerds, you may be thinking right now, what a wonderful scripture. I would have picked the same one. For all the rest of us, you're wondering, what in the world does Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 30 say? Good thing we put it on a slide. Here it is. The most important one, this is the most important command, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Read that once a day. And let the Holy Spirit take those verses and expose, expose those places in our hearts that still are in love with ourselves. Let those verses get down into the depths of your soul and expose, reveal the places where you want to run away from Jesus. And God can do a work there. Just let these verses get inside. As you elevate your eyes, as you turn your gaze upon the Lord, remembering that great command to love the Lord your God with everything. Everything is included in that verse. And so just let God do a work there. I have no idea what God's going to do inside of you with those verses. I have no idea what the Holy Spirit is already doing in this moment. But I am confident that as the Word of God goes out, even in parables, it can expose those places of our lives, in our hearts, where we still are trying to hold on to me, 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 me. And getting those places exposed and turned around is a very good thing for us. That's where a fruitful life begins. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to just ask that you would do what you're already doing, continue it through your spirit inside of us to expose those places inside of us where we are the most important thing in our world. We pray that you would take us to a place of repentance where we would turn around change those parts of our lives with your help, and we would find a fruitful life. Would you help us with that? Would you also make it very apparent how much you love us? Would you impress upon us that even in our unbelief, even in our struggles, even in the dark moments of doubt, that you actually still like us? Would you just, Holy Spirit, make that very clear to us so that we have confidence in the name of Jesus. Together we pray. Amen.